0: Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Inquisitive Minds podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Johnny Smith. With me today, my guest is an author, is a lyricist, as well as a stand-up comedian, among many other hats that he wears, uh, Matt Wolfarth. Wow, you nailed it. That Welcome like to the 10, program. 10.3% of difficulty.
1: <laughs> it took me 10 years to learn how to say it.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the program. By the way, folks, uh,
1: we will be referring to him as Wolfie, because I only got one of those in me. No, it's it's cool. Yeah, Wolfie, I mean, I grew up with Wolfarth as my name. It actually means, you know, welfare in German, so it didn't oh, really? really translate too well. Matthew B. Welfare. Matthew B. Welfare. It would be a good stage name, though. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
0: I mean, if you're like a, I just imagine like a gimmick comic from like the 90s. Like, I'm Matthew a, B. Welfare.
1: <laughs> well, I've had a lot of gimmick names, so I've been Buzz Nutley for a while. Yeah, was, tell
0: me about Buzz Nutley
1: yeah that was um probably 15 years i was buzz nutley you went by buzz nutley for yeah i was always years. self-conscious about my name so i was like ah Wolfarth doesn't you know and this is full circle so when i started there was another comedian named wolfie i said i'll just be wolfie because everybody calls me wolfie there's even people that like know me now for years they don't know my first name okay they're like hey wolf what's up like and my grandkids call me papap wolf so i couldn't yeah, really outgrow that's, it that's sweet and uh so i kind of like the papap wolf thing so i just said i'll go to wolfie but when I started, there was another Woofie, and I think he lasted like eight months in the business. So I said, I'll go with – and I went through this whole diatribe of different names. So I went with uh, Brian Matthews for a while, which was my middle name That's and my first name. That's not a bad name. Middle name and first name. You know, that was my first name. And then, then I said, I need something snazzy because I was working at the comedy store. I never passed at the comedy store. So you get the audition for Mitzi, and she's like, get him off. He sucks, right? Whatever. That was one of those guys. But I didn't quite suck. But I wasn't – she likes flawed characters. Like she likes people that she can help mold and craft. And, and there's, she's had a great eye for talent. I don't dispute that. But I never got my name on the wall. So if you pass, you get your name on the wall at the comedy store. But she says, you're not passed, but you could be the doorman at the main room. So I said, deal. And it was a better deal. Okay. Because I got to watch comedy from 6 at night till 2 in the morning.
0: Yeah, you can't beat that. Every, and I imagine a lot of high-level comedy.
1: Yeah, every, and that room was the most real room in the country because you have people from England next to gangbangers, so you can't go out and say, hey, where are you all from? You have to just intrinsically do intrinsically you, and it took me probably, I don't know, two years to have a decent set in that room. Oh, wow. Two years. Normally it'll take you like a week or two, but that room, it's just the most real room, and there's a lot of great comedians. I saw Richard Jenny, Louis Anderson. That's where I met Yakov Shmirnov, and I worked with him. Okay,
0: In In Russia, podcast records you, huh? Yeah,
1: Yeah. he's been a great friend to me, though. I ended up writing his Broadway show, and I wrote his autobiography, and I wrote his show in Branson with a bunch of other people. But we have a lot of good friends. But he's been really good to me, you know, as far as, Helping me stay in the business, you know. Whenever I was dead broke, he's like, "I have a writing project." I'm like, "Thank you, because I'm broke." <laughs> yeah, you know.
0: I have no idea what it's like to be self-conscious about your name, given my actual birth name is Johnny Junior Smith. I have no idea what that's like.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like everybody's a Smith, right? So, so my, I had neuroses about everything growing up. I have to tell you. So I had neuroses about my name. And then, so I said, oh, it would be cool to be, like, my mother's name was Walsh, so we'd call it in restaurants, we're like, put it under Walsh, don't put it under Wolf <laughs> right? It was just, yeah. and then I was self-conscious about the color bricks I had on my house, which was really? weird, because we had an orange brick house, and everybody had a red brick house, and I felt that red bricks were so much tougher than orange bricks. So shitty-ass so orange I would tell bricks. People, so I would tell people, I lived at my grandmother's house, which had white bricks, and I'm like, white bricks are better than orange bricks, but orange bricks are the worst, and it was fun this is so weird i know but so then i had self i was self-conscious about my phone number too right in brookline you had 56188 and if you had an 884 number you were hoity-toity you probably had an attached garage you know what i mean but 561 i felt was so much tougher than my name which was 341 todd you hoity-toity motherfucker (laughs) like you know we oh they probably have an attached garage we're going to their graduation party they'll have better catering yeah (laughs) So, oh man! But yeah, so I never talked about that on stage, but it's it's kind of something I'm delving into. I'm like, wow, man, I've been troubled for a while. Yeah,
0: so I th- uh, I was
1: gonna have a stage name when I first started. What were you? What was it gonna be? Mac Thompson. Mac Thompson. Mac Thompson. That's cool. That's I like it. It's kind of yeah. You look like a Mac Thompson. I, I think
0: I could fit that.
1: Yeah, Mac Thompson. Like wanna... it could be a truck driver slash comedian. Yeah. I'm in the road on the road. I didn't want to be. Uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I didn't want to have some elaborate name that's not – that's not him at all. Like, uh, I don't know, Delavante – you know, uh, Ramirez or, you know, <laughs> just, just weird shit. People mash together. Yeah. Like I felt like Mac Thompson would be like, Oh, that's acceptable.
1: That's cool. Yeah. So there was like a bunch, you ever see people that have great names. You're like, Oh, like uh, Ronnie miser like that rolls off your tongue. I yeah, yeah. want to be, I want to be Mizzy. His name's Mizzy, whatever. God bless his Paul soul. Costolano. Great, yeah. Paul Costellano. Yeah,
0: a lot of names like that. Just roll. Off. Like
1: I'd never be a secret agent. You're like Wolfarth, Matt. Wolf? no, I'm out at Wolfarth.
0: What is the genesis of your last name? Where what is it?
1: I'm German. German, but not all like not as much German as you would think. Like my <laughs> because I was half German. I thought I was half and half, but I did my lineage and I'm I'm actually probably like 95% Celtic. Oh, okay. And then a little bit of Swedish. So I not, think I was a victim of a hostile takeover. Not
0: nearly as much German as
1: you would think. Yeah, uh,
0: you're you're right. You're, I, yeah,
1: like because <laughs> it's like I'm actually more Irish. I do Irish things like write and think and drink. You know what I mean? Hey, shout out to the Irish. Yeah, so I do like Irish. But Good I mean, people. I like the German side of me too. But it's not. I think it's maybe ten percent. Or but it's not what I thought it was fifty. But it was some more Celtic and Swedish now. Sorry. i i have not done one of those ancestry dna
0: things uh, i want to but i feel like my whole image growing up is going to be shattered because uh I, i'm probably sure i'm just a bunch of generic white guy shit
1: no you're probably different than you think you know what i mean it's it's kind of cool to do i i liked it you know it's kind of cool to see where your family came from like i'm going to go all my family came from the potato famine like one little town there i probably probably drank in the same bar. You know, and then you'll see people that you kind of like went out with in high school. Like, oh, I was kind of related to her. Oh. <laughs> you know, like I met a cousin that we kind of went out. And I was like, oh, that she's like a third cousin or whatever. But Bought my first car from a man whose uh, motto was incest is best. <laughs> it's not intentional, but it's, I don't know. Then I found a sister that I, or a cousin, sister or cousin, we don't know, that someone in my family like preaching to you about good virtue. They had a kid and didn't tell me. Okay, here's one a little closer. My wife, my late wife, uh,
0: her sister and her first cousin are together and have been for 25, 30 years. And they actually have children together. Okay. Um, which I always thought it was weird, you know, because your first fucking cousins at... uh,
1: So their first cousins? Oh, yes. At oh, his wow. father's
0: funeral, he said to the woman, I won't name names, but he said, hey, hun." In this picture, he looks like my dad. In this picture, he looks like your dad. <laughs> At least we know the their, kids will look like Their dads were
1: brothers. Oh, my God. Like, uh,
0: yeah, so I always thought that was weird. And uh, It's legal, right? They're not married. Oh, uh, they're not married. Speaking of that, I remember one time, because me and my wife got married, uh-huh. obviously, and uh, she comes and she's having this big conversation. She's like, yeah, we don't need a piece of paper to tell each other we love each other. That's the only reason we haven't gotten married yet. And I remember sitting there thinking that's the only fucking
1: reason, huh?
0: <laughs> that's the yeah. only goddamn reason. Yeah,
1: not that we hate each other, you know. Uh, I God. said, normally you don't like your first cousins though. Like you need like degrees of separation to maybe think they might have virtue they your was first cousins. No separation. Hate. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You got to find love where you find it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Look, I'm 57 and single, so I really don't have any answers for anybody. I'm just saying. family
0: reunion.
1: (laughs) And don't pick up girls at family court. Don't try to do that. Shout out to my cousins. Um. (laughs) Like, hey, what are you doing here? Getting divorced. All right, cool. You want to go out Thursday? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I need more trauma in my life.
0: Now, Now, Wolf, you already gave us a lot of information right out of the gate. You came out swinging. A lot of stuff I want to touch on but it's Halloween month. Uh, we're going to jump right into some paranormal stuff. Oh, cool. I, I like asked it. you briefly beforehand. You you mentioned a seance, and then I said, do you have any more information about that? And you look like you had a bunch of stuff to say. I said, hold it.
1: All right, Here's cool. the time. All right, cool. Well, let me tell my Halloween joke first. This Absolutely. Is, uh, courtesy of uh, my buddy. Uh, why don't witches have babies? Okay. Their husbands have Halloweenies. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that one. I don't Okay, know. that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. That's not bad. So, yeah, so when we were kids, we had seance. So we lived, all right, we lived by Brookline Boulevard, which, you know, my parents said, stay off the boulevard. I'm like, we live right by the boulevard. How am I going to stay off the boulevard? You know, and I wasn't allowed to go to the cannon. Like, don't go to that cannon. Trouble <laughs> happens at the cannon, right? I'm yeah. like, right at the cannon. And I lived right behind a after hours club, the BYM club. So the, I'd wake up, there were people in my yard having sex you know what i mean my mom would be out there with a broom like get out of my yard my kid's trying to play <laughs> and um so when we were kids we had all this alleys like i love alleys like i always say I'm, i want to do the alley cat comedy tour because i'm like an alley cat i don't want to walk on boulevard i want to walk in the alleys so we had these alleys and in between the buildings on a boulevard were these spaces like maybe like a foot or two wide and we would call it our clubhouse and we would Like hang out and smoke cigarettes or whatever they did or smoke. Remember smoking Toby's? Like I don't, I don't think anybody literally smoked a toby because they never lit on fire. Like you spent all toby is. It's those green things that hang from the the trees. You ever see them? Like smoking Toby's? Like we tried to light them, they never lit. So you can't really smoke them anyway. I don't know if you dry them out or what. It didn't work. (laughs) So my friends are like, we're gonna have my brother and there was a couple friends and they said we're having a séance. I'm like, cool, I'm in, you know, and I'm five years younger than everybody. And I asked them about that. They think I'm delusional, right? But we called my grandmother back, and I'm not lying. She flew over the wall, like, in between the buildings. So your grandmother was dead? My grandmother was dead. Okay. We called her back. How old are you when you had the seance? I was probably six, seven. So you were six young. Six or seven, yeah. So it might be a false memory, but it might be a real memory, too, and maybe I was the only one that could see it. But I swore she flew over the wall from the boulevard to the alley and in between the building. And I just turned and hauled ass up the alley. <laughs> she was still in a nightgown she was buried in. But like, So what I saw was no legs. Like I just saw her flying in her nightgown at me with no legs. I mean is that, is, is that that makes sense? would that be terrifying. you're not publishing this live or oh, it's not live. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding.
0: It's not live No, that's I want to share it with
1: people. I, I, to this day, it's a vivid memory, so and I asked my brother he didn't remember it. My other friend, he passed away, so I don't know if he remembered it or not, but I firmly remember it. Now, since that, that was something that stuck with you, um, have you done any other uh,
0: seances or had any type of experiences
1: along the way? No, I know that our house, um, someone that we grew up in, they said it was haunted because someone got shot with a gun in the the attic. So we'd hear things in time to time, like people shuffling and stuff like that. I don't – I was never scared or anything like that. But, and it's the house you grew up in? Yeah, in, okay. in Brookline. But there was a – I guess a child had an accident with a gun, you know, and then so – but that's what they said. But my mom would hear stuff, and she was pretty intuitive with that. She liked – that stuff, the paranormal.
0: I feel like a lot of that came almost second nature to that generation. They seem to be more connected with like spirits and feelings and things of that nature.
1: That might be something that we're losing, right? Because we're so connected with electronics that we're not getting in touch with the world, mm-hmm. right? So during the pandemic, I haven't really turned my TV on too much. I just bought encyclopedias and read National Geographics from okay. like 1976 to try to write. but. I think, like, we need to get in tune with it. You know, that's why I write a lot of my jokes is walking in the woods, Mm. you know, by myself or just and letting it come to me. Like, I'll have a joke. I'm like, I'm trying to fix this joke and then it'll get fixed somehow. But I I do believe that there has to be something. I hope so. Like, I had a dream that, like, I died and there's a big, long, white tunnel and I'm walking through it. And finally, I get the end and I hear it. Welcome to Walmart. That's so, that's so <laughs> what if, disappointing. What if it's like a big Walmart? You know what I mean? Like what like oh, they they always say they're in a better place. What if it's not a better place? What if it's Walmart or like a Greyhound station downtown? <laughs> Jesus, that's horrible.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I've I'm, heard, I'm... you know, there's there's countless theories about the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't like the one specifically it's about I think reincarnation is the tunnel you're going through is your birth canal now. Like the white light at the end of that tunnel as you're dying, when you finally get to it and you reach it, you're reincarnated, and that's actually your birth canal.
1: Oh wow! So you're you're being born in another world or mm-hmm. another or
0: another body or
1: what? You know, I'd like to take a rest. I hope I don't go right to living. Like after this, like <laughs> I hope there's like a like a time where we could take a nap. You know, the right? fascinating it's, life is tiring, don't you think? I mean, life I was exhausting. <laughs> it is
0: uh, the fascinating thing about death. That I think about is like when everybody dies, okay, they all say, like you just said, they're in a better place. Yeah, no one ever goes to hell, like, n- no one's just sinning and going to hell. Like, people don't, it's like almost offensive to people <laughs> that if you're honest and you're like, ah. Frank was a good guy. No, he was a horrible piece of shit. Yeah, he's burn. probably burning. He was miserable. He beat his wife all the time. He was he an che- absent father. He cheated. Yeah. He's $70,000 in debt. He mortgaged a house twice because he couldn't bet right. <laughs> but <laughs> Frank's in a better place.
1: No, he's burning. He's burning. Do you think there's really, like, fire, though? Like, do you think it's, like... Cause all right, I'll tell you a funny bit I did. What well, it wasn't? It was a non-funny bit. So I had this idea about like <laughs> I have a bunch of notes. Like, like how life is uh, so evil that the devil gets downsized, mm-hmm. so he comes to do open mics like other like burned-out celebrities. <laughs> and he's just like, people think hell is hot. I can't even afford it. I'm on budget. You know what I mean? Like it's just the average temperature of an average retirement home. You know, like I, like people are more evil than. Than, uh you know the devil. The devil is probably a practical joker. Well, there was a fun thought exercise
0: I had a long time ago, and it was about like all the things that supposedly send you to hell. A lot of them are very fun, entertaining. Yeah. And what if hell was just like that's where you want to be because all that shit's going on down there.
1: Yeah, that's a hell of a party. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, you know, just wear dress light.
0: <laughs> Dr- <laughs> dress light. Hell is hell is every open mic I go to anymore. <laughs>
1: oh man, they're tough. They're getting <laughs> worse. Right? Have you guys seen this? Have you heard about?
0: Have you heard about this bullshit? Um,
1: yeah. If you, all right, here's the thing to the listeners out there. Like, if if you haven't seen the effects of mental health care cutbacks in this country, go to an open mic. Oh, right. Like I think they're cutting people loose. They're like, Hey, Jeff. I know you think you're Manson, but here, put a tight five minutes together and go to Scarpaesie's on a Wednesday. We think that'll really help your mental state.
0: That's what it is. That's really (laughs) what it is. There's this one guy I heard. I won't. Oh, let me see how I can. Okay, there's a comic I heard that essentially just runs his mouth on stage about his his child and uh, how he's essentially abusive and whatnot to his child the whole time. And he's like, why aren't people laughing at this? This is bullshit. They're trying to censor me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, bro. People don't want to hear that shit. Yeah,
1: they want you to be, I don't know. Here's a rule of comedy, I will tell you. And I try to tell people this, but the rule of comedy is make women laugh. Mm. Right, number one. Great advice. Make women laugh. Because if you make the women laugh, the men will laugh. But if you make the men laugh and the women stop laughing pretty soon, the man will stop laughing. If you make the, I'm sorry, I messed that up. But if you make the man laugh and a woman isn't laughing pretty soon the man will stop laughing because he's there to on a date you know once yeah. his woman happy
0: that's what a lot of people i don't think realize that the men if you can get the women to enjoy you they'll bring the men.
1: yeah you and know they're, they're supportive and they're great and I don't know. they're honest too like they'll tell you if you're not funny and they'll tell you if you are funny
0: by no means am i like the best comedian out there or have it all figured out but it's come to me within the last six months that like That's my target audience is to go after women and that not every woman or not every woman wants
1: to hear all these, uh,
0: oh, my dick this or my dick that or cunt this or cunt that. It's like, ah.
1: Yeah, you could probably do without the C word. People are here for date
0: night. Like, uh, they're not trying to hear all that bullshit.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's what, I mean, number one, you have to be yourself. You have to be authentic. And I think you do write that. You write from a painful place. And and that's what I tell people. Just mine. Mind your frustrations and turn your frustrations into fuel, not excuses, Mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of people say I didn't make it because of this. I didn't make it because of that. Well, you know, just turn that to fuel and say, let it power you because it's excellent fuel.
0: Comedy is one of those things, too. It's not like uh, like a sports like, oh, I missed my window. I'm over the hill. You can pursue comedy till you die. Like you can. And honestly, why not?
1: Well, I mean, think about how how much therapy it is. I said it's the nurture of lost souls. Like it's a beautiful woman. It's a nurture of lost souls. If you're lost, come do comedy. Mm-hmm. And think about like a lot of things in life that separate people. Sports separate people. Gangs separate people. S- states and countries separate people. But the arts bring people together, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the actor or the comedian needs laughs, mm-hmm. needs to hear laughs. And then the audience needs to, you know, be... Get laughs. Absolutely.
0: Um, When did you start?
1: Oh, a long time ago. (laughs) May of 89. May of 89. Okay. Where were you in 89? I was two. Yeah, you're good. You you love me. I I started at uh, Tom's Diner which closed rest in peace in uh Dormont. Dormont, yeah.
0: oh man tom ziner hey shout out to them it's unfortunate they closed i enjoyed their food
1: yeah they did a, an open mic and i was afraid to go on so let me preface that to i was afraid to go on i was definitely afraid and i went to um hypnotism classes and they said hey you're a great subject you should probably do something in the arts and i'm like yeah whatever
0: you were you were a great subject to be hypnotized yeah I was, okay
1: i was apparently i was hilarious but i don't remember much of it <laughs> yeah. but, but so then, then I said, all right, maybe I'll give it a try. So I started listening to Rodney Dangerfield and Stephen Wright albums, and, and Woody Allen nightclub years, which is you know I'd listen to over and over. I also listened to Lenny Bruce, which I didn't really like that much, because I just I wrote in my notebook after admires ability to live for long periods without laughter, right? But Woody Allen taught me how to write jokes. Mm-hmm. So it's like S. J. and Woody Allen. Stephen Wright, Mitch Hedberg and that's the kind of comedian I start kind of like that's why I like your stuff because you write those one-liners that are like poignant and powerful and and surreal sometimes, you know what I mean and And I always wanted to do that, but then I gravitated to another style of comedy, but I still love those jokes but so i I started going to a writer's group and would sit around a room like this and say hey is this funny is that funny and i was there for like three weeks i said you guys are never going on stage are you they go (laughs) nope we're not we're just here to drink coffee i said well i'm gonna go get on stage and get destroyed so i went to tom's diner and i was so afraid there was a guy dj fisher and he was a really funny dude um really over the top funny cool guy and he had this wheel that he did. It was pretty wheel of emotions when you're with a woman. He like, Pfft. It was really funny. And then he goes, you're going to go on? I said, no, I don't think I'm going to go on. So halfway through the show, I said, I'll go on. So he put me last. So I literally headlined my first show.
0: Oh, there we go. But
1: I don't remember anything. I got laughs, but I was looking at the floor the whole time. What
0: was it that motivated you to go on stage? Was it just the hypnotism?
1: Because I know we all got a little something in us. You know... I, I don't know. I mean, I just I always remember jokes. Like even as a kid, I could remember Stephen Wright's jokes or Rodney Dangerfield's jokes. There was a book called Truly Tasteless Jokes, which got me oh, a lot of attention in school.
0: I've talked about that book on
1: this yeah. show before. so it's, it taught Such horrid stri- jokes. Yeah, it, it was horrible. Categorized, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it got you, um, and I, you know, I wasn't like a player or anything like that. So it was just, I think there was a way to get girls to show me attention. Do you know what I mean? And at the time, if I was funny if you can make people laugh they usually enjoy being around you yeah that's what my thought was it didn't work out that way but no i'm just kidding i mean it's um yeah so i just liked it and then when i got that first laugh on that first stage and you probably know that feeling when you get that first laugh you're like i'm kind of hooked you know absolutely even heroin addicts would draw the line at some point like they're (laughs) like johnny i got a gig for three dollars up in cleveland yeah, yeah, I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. Like heroin addicts, like I am not going past Sharon. Like, you know. look,
0: you're gonna have to pay gas money to get up here. You don't. You're care. gonna be hungry. Just, but you can do 20
1: minutes, dude. I'm there, dude. I was homeless in Minneapolis, like literally doing a guest set. It because I was in Des Moines and I drove up with my friend. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, do a guest set at the comedy gallery, and the headliner will let you crash to the crib. Nope. And I had forty dollars. <laughs> So this tell you the story. No. Oh my goodness. So I'm up there and I said, I did pretty well and and then I said, Hey, could I crash it? Your kid he goes, No, I can't have you crash. So I went to the hotel downtown and they go I said, I have forty dollars, can I get a room? They go, That's two hundred dollars for a room. I said, All right. So then I went to the emergency room at the hospital and I walked up and I made up a story and I figured it would be a good story. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I just got off of Greyhound. My uncle's getting a transplant tomorrow. Can I just crash here? I don't want to disturb him. He needs his rest for the big transplant. I probably went too far with the transplant. So the guy just looks at me and says, uh, homeless shelters, two blocks on the right. So I walked down to the homeless shelter, six bucks, right? So you have this big warehouse of people paying six bucks. And I got the top bunk because the guy was bigger than me. So I got upstairs and then you put your shoes under the bed so nobody steals them and i'm laying there and i'm about a foot from the ceiling and there's like 3 400 people in this shelter in st paul minnesota and and there's a poster on the ceiling it says do you have a strange unproductive cough you might have tuberculosis oh the whole room had a strange unproductive cough it was like a strange unproductive cough symphony <laughs> But and it was those mattresses that were covered in plastic, so you couldn't sleep anyway because you had a blaring. It headache. sounds like a very similar to like
0: a prison situation.
1: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I guess that's. I've been there, but I've been like a like a prison dorm setting. Yeah, exactly. So and then I didn't sleep in. I got my sandwich and left in the morning, and that was it. But that's weird. And I did a lot of gigs on a Greyhound. I had a friend that gave me got me discount tickets on Greyhound, so I'd go to Green Bay on a Greyhound, and it gave me time to write. So, but I just tried to jump in. Some of them Greyhound rides, because I've done that too. Like, I prefer
0: to drive, but if if it's like, if I'm going to New York City, I usually take a Greyhound, just because parking, it's not worth it. But I get up there, and I had a show at like 8, show got over at 10, hung out as long as I could, till like 11.30, and my bus wouldn't leave until like 3.30 <laughs> in the morning, so I'm just wandering around New York in the winter, just yeah. like, oh, I don't want to go sit in
1: this goddamn bus stall right now. <laughs> Yeah, I know because it's like you don't want to talk to people in there. Like, did you ever see people fighting over the luggage in Greyhound? Yeah, that's my garbage bag. People go crazy.
0: <laughs> it's what man the the
1: ride up there. I had a guy beside me
0: who like smelled all of urine. Yeah, but like couldn't speak a word of English. Yeah, but his family was right in front of him, so he stayed there. And I was like, oh, this is fucking miserable yeah your
1: family loves you when they put you on a greyhound yeah. right like get mad a greyhound all ticket like get them out of here please
0: on the way back there was a lady screaming on a cell phone that wasn't there yeah at a person who wasn't real for what for seven and a half eight hours
1: oh my goodness just
0: screaming <laughs> and uh when we got to pittsburgh like they brought her off the bus and I seen the one driver talking she was like
1: I've been doing this the whole trip like I don't know what to do you. Oh my god. I was like Jesus.
0: God almighty.
1: Yeah, but like from a comedic standpoint you're like I'm writing that one down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cuz they're like they're way different than anything you can make up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're like oh just when you think you're the most creative you're like nope, I'm just going to watch yep. people. Didn't didn't see this coming. So you've been doing this
0: quite a while and and you dropped a few places from Pittsburgh. How long before you Uh, traveled outside
1: well I started and then I I decided to go to uh, went through some tough times with you know family stuff and I just needed to get a break and like clean my act up or whatever Mm -hmm. you know grow up and mature and all that because I was partying or whatever and I didn't want to do that anymore so I took like three hundred dollars in three suits and went to uh, San Diego oh and then so I started in San Diego out there and doing shows And then, like, a month later after getting a job, I got transferred up to Silicon Valley. So, With the the job? Yeah, with the job. What were you doing at the time? I'm selling electronic components. I was selling ICs and semiconductors. And so I got into Silicon Valley, and I did that. And then I got a job at a club called Rooster Teeth Feathers. And I said, look, you don't have to pay me. Just let me host, and I'll seat people. And, And he let me be a host, and I was getting, like, seven times more stage time than anybody else. And then it always give me good notes. He's like, "Conviction, you need conviction." Because I'd always do a joke like, "I think this is funny." Do you know what I mean? You know the difference. Like you'll yeah. try a joke, and it's like, then it gets a laugh. You'll do it a little bit better next time. But
0: yeah, because I, I, like I th- obviously I think it's funny. Like yeah. if I'm going up at a mic or something, but I never really know until I get some
1: type of reaction. Yeah, and when it kills, there's no better feeling, right? Like you're like, man, that's just the way I thought. So. That's what I did. I worked there, and then I would do – and it was a great place to learn stand-up because the demographics were so different. Like San Jose had a Last Laugh, which was a huge club. There was uh, Roosters. Then we can go up to the Punchline in San Francisco. Like Margaret Cho, she was there. A lot of other people started there. And Sunday nights were great because you'd see every great comedian. Greg Proops was there. Uh, Bobby Slayton. From
0: what I understand, Greg Proops is actually on the uh, Still City Arts Foundation Board of uh, Directors or Trustees.
1: Yeah, he's a great comedian man. very powerful performer. And, I mean, you're around those people and then you just get better by association just because you're seeing the level that they're bringing. And it, it was a really, I think, Seattle, San Francisco are great cities to, I mean, not, it's so expensive now. I don't think, you know, it's feasible to be a starving artist in San Francisco, but if you can, it's a great city to your craft. I think Nashville's the next hot spot.
0: That's, you know, I've heard a lot about that. Um, I know Theo Vaughn is down there now. He just released his special that he recorded there. From what I understand, a lot of uh, bigger name comedians have been moving there. um, Yeah, it has. From like the exodus of California, I guess it is.
1: Well, I could tell you why, and I think, like, I love California, but Nashville, you could afford to live. You're not starving. You can get stage time, and still all of the talent agencies are down there. So, they, even though they're there for country music, they still have branches for talent. So mm-hmm. if you can pop and get on that radar, you have opportunities. So that's what you're looking for, which you don't have in Pittsburgh. Like you don't have William Morris or you don't have any of the major agencies here. They can see you at a nightclub. And, and believe me, in Nashville, everybody parties way more than they do in L.A., Right, like you try to get people out to a club in LA, they're like, No, I'm I can't drink for thirty eight days or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's okay. crazy. No, I mean LA and LA will always be the epicenter, but I think Nashville is a sweet spot right now just because I like, I was down there and it's great and they have comedy and then you have a lot of cities you can go around and keep your craft going. That's the problem with LA is that you do showcase sets for fifteen or twenty dollars, but you don't get to do long sets where you can really stretch your legs and you know work on that bit that might change things for you
0: i've had this conversation with quite a few people um about like la and california i'd love to go and visit for like nostalgia see the walk of fame see the sign yeah. but from everything i hear that is not a place i'd ever want to live just with like the traffic or the cost of living or like uh, and i don't i'm not there mm-hmm. but like uh you hear about stuff like skid row and shit like oh. that and it's like i want no parts of any of that trouble
1: well, it's um, I don't know. My memories are great of it, just because we had everybody rented. Like we had a girl that rented the garage. Then we had Roger, my friend Roger Rod. He's still um, a comedian out there, and he rented the couch. Like, and I'm, mm. I'm in his room and we're talking. I'm like, Roger, you know, you have a Corvette, and uh, if you sold your Corvette, you might be able to get your own apartment. He's like. Buzz, that was when I was Buzz Nutley. We didn't go back to that yet, but um, oh yeah, yeah he goes, yeah. he goes, Buzz, you have no idea how Hollywood works, and he goes, and you're kicked out of my room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah
0: let, let, let's touch on the Buzz Nutley thing again. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, so I just when I went to, I needed a name, so I was working at the comedy store in the main room, and I saw everybody went up with two first names, and everybody had the same look. So at the end of the night, you're seeing thirty comedians, and I'm like, nobody remembered who you were. Yeah. Right, so I said I need a name they can remember. So I just uh, this guy called in from uh, Nutley, New Jersey, and I said it sounds like Nutley. It sounds happy and fun, you know. So then I just went with Buzz Nutley and made a logo. And my friend, I asked my friend, what do you think? He goes, well, I think this. I said, you can't have any thoughts on it. I already made shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so I was that for a while. Then I was writing screenplays, but when I sent the screenplays in under Buzz Nutley, like people weren't taking them serious because they thought like I was a hokey comedian. Or whatever, you know.
0: I'll be honest, if someone sent me a message and their
1: name is Buzz Nutley, I'm going to be like, hmm. Yeah, so it might have been a mistake, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So that was all because some guy named Wolfie started doing comedy in Pittsburgh, and then uh, whatever. So. And that
0: guy fizzled out.
1: You said, yeah, like, it fizzled out, like probably eight months in. So, But I went on like a 15 or 20-year journey.
0: So after you moved to San Diego, you're getting this access to all these other places. You're hosting uh, all the time, getting a bunch of stage time. When do you start branching out even more?
1: Yeah, well, we were doing, um, I have a good friend, Darren Carter, we started off with, and we had this great open mic on Saturday night in uh, San Jose. It was the 94th Aero Squadron. So they had a great restaurant where you could watch the planes land and stuff at the airport, and we would go up and recruit people to come down the show, and we would get the San Francisco comedians to come down because there was never a Saturday night open mic. Mm. It ended up becoming one of the great institutions of the Bay Area. So we were just have shows and just do stage time and then we would get different shows and Darren to his spirit he uh, is great because he was fearless he's like let's go here let's go to Jack London Square in Oakland like oh man (laughs) whatever you know we went to Montebello in East LA you know like he was just fearless he would do comedy anywhere and so it exposed us to a lot of different things but the thing on the west coast there's not a lot of paid gigs as far as outside of the city the showcase rooms that's the hard part about being there where in pittsburgh you can do a fire hall you can go do a vfw or a moose which they don't have out there they have paid fire uh halls so they have paid paid firemen or fire people is it fire people fire person? fire
0: people fire person
1: fire person yes i don't want to be wrong so anyway it's just really hard like you have to have a day job and then you just do your showcase sets but you'll get occasional books weeks at like sacramento or walnut and there are some clubs that'll give you weeks but that's super competitive And, you know, you'll get maybe two weeks a year there. But we had, at that time, we had a lot of clubs. So we had Last Laugh, Roosters, um, Punchline. Nobody ever, Punchline, you had to be a super headliner to get that. And then they had Cobb's Comedy, which was a great room also. That was an A room as well. But you do Tommy Tees in Concord or San Leandro, there was one. And then you go to Laughs Unlimited in Sacramento, which was cool. Once you're in California and you start heading east, um,
0: a lot of work. In between there? What do you mean? Like uh Arizona, Nevada, just making your way back to, like, Pennsylvania. Is there is there a lot of clubs through there, or is that more of a, a drier area? No,
1: I would say every town has a club, you know, has a major club, right? At least most towns have a major club, and then there's one-nighters. You want to kind of, you know, pick up with people. And there was a guy named Dan Kaufman who had notorious – uh one-nighters up in the northwest which i didn't do because i had a job so but my friend mark Lunholm did tons of them and they would you would drive like from idaho to i don't know somewhere in california it was always like an eight hour between gigs he wasn't really good on oh, wow. routing okay. so it was always a Kaufman hell gig but you honed yourself up there you know because you'd be in washington oregon all over the northwest and those were good gigs to get well,
0: I, as, a, as a guy who's like uh younger in the game I always hear about like triple runs
1: that's it there's david tribble yeah oh, okay. that's still, he's out there too but there was a guy named dan kaufman too i think triple runs was the one that was notorious for the gaps between like
0: those ones i hear about and it just mm-hmm. they sound miserable when you're doing them but they're romanticized when people talk about them
1: yeah i think i mean i don't that's the only way to get better there's really no shortcut You know you i tell people if you have a strong 15 you need to work on 30. if you have 30 you need to work on 45 and if you have 45 you need to work on your next 45. Mm -hmm. so you're never done there is no they there is no there you just have to always keep trying to get where you can get paid to do what you love you know when i started i was fortunate i think i'm trying to think of the time frame because i said i moved right to san Francisco or san diego but I think there was a gap because I was in Pittsburgh for a while. Mm-hmm. And then we had these runs with Jerry Pace. So he had all these hotels he would set us up at. And he didn't have enough comedians. So he's like, hey, can you open? I'm like, yeah. Then the next time I do it, can you feature? I'm like, I guess. And then I would bomb and I'd be so mad. I'd be in my room writing all day <laughs> with a bottle of wine or something.
0: That's, uh, th- th- that, see, that's the thing, too. The, the, the highs when you, i was say, kill at a good show, perform your ass off, are amazing. Almost unparalleled. The Lowe's, oh man, they are some depth. <laughs> yeah, I went, it oh. just happened
1: to me this week. So we went from a theater show, it was sold out, Oaks Theater, packed, had a great set. And then I went to a show up in, um, we're up in Sharon, and they had like eight people to Bowling Alley. and it, They were super nice people, but it was just hard to, to like do a comedy show for eight people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah people are like, are you afraid of a sold out show? I'm like, no, I'm afraid of eight, eight scares me. <laughs> Eight's terrifying.
0: <laughs> no, I've been there. That low, though, you know, it's
1: oh, it's but, miserable. But I think it's harder now for like, there's more comedians, I think, than before. Number one, but I think it's harder to get established now. Do you know what I mean? To break in. Um, I would
0: say yes and no. Okay. Because I know back then, once you got established, like you had, it was a hard road. You know, send in tapes, go on the road, nobody knows you. <laughs> but now there's people that can get established just from a, an online presence.
1: No, that's good. That's a good point because that, like, Ginger Billy, did you ever see him or whatever? I don't think I've seen he Ginger sold, Billy. He sold out Oaks Theater in, like, 10 minutes. Like Oh, wow. Yeah, Ginger Billy. I've never even heard of him. Like, I guess he's shirtless like Burt Kreischer. Wow. But...
0: Oh, so. I've seen that white t- trash. Tammy is going on tour. Um, I've seen that guy. I can't remember his name, but he walks around like, a... Coogi sweater in like all types of place and just goes. Psh.
1: <laughs> Psh. We got to come up with a catchphrase. Something, yeah, with yeah. That, something with something that vowel. Like
0: he'll walk up to bodybuilders and bump into him and they'll say something. He'll just be like. Psh. But <laughs> i seen he's of, like. Doing does he a, get
1: beat up ever? Like, no, he
0: just is? walks away and people are like, "What the fuck?" And he's just wearing sunglasses. He's like. <laughs> so it's like really ridiculous. It is entertaining, but I seen he's like going on an improv tour, like uh, of the theaters, and I'm just like, "Huh."
1: Well, I all think, right. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'd like to say that it's all about talent, you know, and, and to some degree it is. But really, they're in a business, and if you could put butts in a seat, and if you could build a show around it, then then that's gonna behoove you.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I know I'm small potatoes at the moment, but even situations like now, I don't need like a Hollywood or an LA contact to put out a product. You, you know, what I mean, to put this out to the world. and i'm not like like i said i'm not big but i have subscribers in many other countries and like i did that without hollywood so it's like it's less needed
1: no and i i think that is one key point that you're saying you can go direct to the consumer right and if they they establish that there's value there that is a good thing about it and if this pops because you're and you could do your podcast and do a comedy show and and build that around and do a tour then yeah i would say go for that and you don't have to be in la and you don't have to be starving and sharing lunch with your roommate, you know, cause you have $5 yeah. and
0: I got lucky doing this. I mean, not, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but it's just something I enjoy doing so much that like, I don't even check my analytics half the time. Like I'll look once every couple of months. Like, oh, okay. People listened, but like, I just enjoy doing it.
1: Yeah. It's fun. I mean, I think it's a great, it's a lot of work, but I mean, you seem pretty natural at it and you're pretty at ease and you're comfortable in your skin, which is important. Yeah, man. I've lived in this, uh. This skin a long time. <laughs> like. So going back to you, I guess, I was, I'll ask you what made you want to do stand-up.
0: Okay. I've told this story quite a few times, I think, uh, on the podcast and off, but I'll run it through. always thought I was a funny guy. I always enjoyed that stuff. Um, stand-up was in the back of my mind for many years, but never pursued it. Uh, settled down, married, enjoyed my life, was a carpenter. Yeah, so, um, You know, enjoy that little life. It was back and forth. Nothing spectacular. Then my wife dies on me one day. Oh man! Yeah, dies in my arms one night. It was a Thursday night. It was miserable. How old? 30. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was a widower at 30. Oh, my um, we had been married almost seven years. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was my everything. Um, I fell in love with her when I was eight. So, like, that was it for me. So when she died, I got to a place of such darkness and low depth that I wasn't even living. I was existing. I would go to work on the way home, stop at a gas station, grab something eat, go home and literally go to bed. There was no life I was living. And one day I oh said my God. <laughs>
1: I'm like ready to cry, bro.
0: <clears throat> one day I said, you know, I'm gonna end it. I'm just gonna, you know, what what is the point? What am I doing here? You know, everything I loved is gone. I'm just existing to pay these bills. Fuck this. Just kill myself. Before we do that, Let's try a few things I always wanted to try. Why not? made a list uh stand up was like one of the first things on the list, and I happened to try it. I was looking at the improv actually for a open mic, and this is when they were under construction. yeah, so I seen it to class at the arcade. I took it with Colin uh, I got on stage for the first time, fell in love with it, and essentially stand up saved my life
1: did. I remember I told you earlier, like, like, number one, I'm so sorry about your wife. Oh, thank you. I I don't even know, like, because you're building a life with someone, and you you probably don't know my backstory, but it's uh, my ex, her husband died at a young age, and Mm. I raised their, we raised their kids together and stuff. It's something you really don't, your life is just wrenched from you. Like, it's not something you think of at age 30, right? Like, you know.
0: We never thought, you know, at, you never think you're going to be a widower at 30. no. Yeah, especially when you're not like, you know, I'm not in active service, we're not in gangs, we're not doing like heroin or anything. So it was never a thought that she's going to up and die. She started a medication to help her lose weight. The second day she took it, it interacted with her lungs, seized them up, stopped her from breathing.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, I was was like a diet medication. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I was
0: laying in bed. She said, I'm going to go out on the porch, get some air. My brother-in-law was living with us at the time. They went out on the porch. He came and got me. She said she came in, collapsed. So I ran out there, you know, propped her up. "Babe, what's going on? You all right?" She said, "Panda." And that was the last. That's what she called me, Panda. That's why, like, my email is Panda Smith. I, 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 oh my god! I use that on usernames and whatnot. But she looked up and whispered, "Panda." And like, I was trying to see what was wrong. And eventually, like, I couldn't tell if she was breathing. And I called the ambulance, and she was dead when they got there. It was—I was laying there when they got there, holding a, her corpse, and it was just—it was a miserable time. And actually, in November, it'll be four years now.
1: Dude, that's still so new. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not going to go away. Like, I mean, I lived with my ex for 50, 14 years after that happened, but she never got over it. Do you know what I mean? And you're not ever going to get over it. It's no. like uranium poisoning like you'll get to a half-life of acceptance but
0: there's there's two things and i don't respond with anger anymore Mm -hmm. because i'm i'm working on healing and obviously and i know people's intentions aren't bad but there's two things i absolutely hate when people say to me and i used to get really aggressive the first one is i know what you're going through and i'll say did your wife die in your arms and if they say no I get a little attitude yeah. and I shouldn't have with yeah, everybody yeah, and say
1: shut up. Bro. But I was
0: sensitive because people were like, oh, my dog died. I don't give a fuck about your dog. Like, yeah. fuck that dog. Yeah, dogs are
1: eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, not that I care about, I mean, I don't care about dogs. My, my dog died. It's not died. the equivalent of it's your spouse. It's not my wife, you piece yeah. of shit. Get out of here. Yeah. And that one, and I hate people that'll
0: say, oh, you'll find somebody else. That's what you got out of that? Because, like, it wasn't like I just lost, you know, an accessory.
1: Yeah. Like, oh, your like wife's said you'll find another like one. Like a charger for your phone. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, you lost it, you'll get another one. And they, she,
0: she was my person. You know what I mean? I don't want. What's well, your first another, love, right? Knows. I mean,
1: that's like, think she about it. my years only old. love. Yeah. So the whole thing, like, I think, like, when you look at life, don't you think that people that marry their first loves, they're so much happier than everybody else, right? They don't, like, they're not lacking. They don't look around. They don't care. They're just, like, with the one that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a different level of love at that. So I mean, I don't know. Four years—that's brutal. It was—it
0: uh, was extremely rough when it happens. Uh, I won't lie and say it's not painful because it still hurts me every day.
1: Do you? So what I do, and I'm there's a different thoughts, and I'm just saying, like with my mom, I guess it's a mom, not a, a spouse. Your mom, your child' I lost the
0: woman who raised me in December i get it
1: yeah so i said they're like your training wheels of life right like you lose one you're like i hope i can still lean right you lose another one you're like i hope i can ride this bike called life because i suck and then but i for my mom i just said i'm not going to mourn her i'm going to um, put her on my shoulder and show her a great ride through my life so what i do is do like try to do all the things we talked about doing like she died wanting to go to the grand canyon which i it's on my list to do you know to go there and she'll show up and then and i'll tell you going back to spirituality. This is probably gonna make you feel like it's weird, but when I work with Yakov Don and Branson, right? I grew up watching Lawrence Welk show with my whole family on Sunday night, my grandmother and everybody. And I swore when I went to that show, they were behind me, like I felt them, you know. So that I feel that their presence is here and they're guiding you. So, for what it's worth, man, I don't know. I mean, when I was talking about writing from pain, I didn't know that that's what you went through. That's
0: oh yeah, that's that's one of the things, yeah. So yeah. I mean, we're all unique specimens. We all go through shit.
1: No, and that's what. Well, so the other thing is that's what I love about the world of comedy, right? Like we're there for a reason. It's not because everything went right. Do you know what I mean? Like everything worked out perfect in our <laughs> yeah. life. You don't see people from Fox Chapel with like, I graduated Summa Cum Laude. Like, no. Yeah, and you know, can was...
0: tell people that don't belong in an open mic because yeah. like everything's together, their life's fine, decent job. They're like, oh, <laughs> just want to try this. Like, <laughs> no. This takes you hating yourself some nights, so you're not going to make this shit.
1: Yeah, and it's therapeutic, right? Like, I mean, going back to it's saving your life, I mean, I really think it's a nurture of lost souls. So, like, it helps helps you get through it because some things you can't go around. Like, you can't go around a divorce. You can't go around being a widow. You can't go around your your wife. And I don't even know what that feeling is, but I know it's traumatic and – but you can't go around it. You just have to live through it. And like, it's hard, probably. I mean, it's, it's hard to the point of nothing has ever been harder, right? So but by writing about it and trying to say, how do I take this and make this a word or make this a thought and build a roller coaster of comedy and ethos and passion, compassion and empathy, because what people don't realize in comedy is you're not building a you're not joke, 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 joke. You're building a roller coaster. You could take them to some pretty dark places. Mm-hmm. And by being there and, say, a little bit of relief, you know what I mean? Like, I'll give you a a joke about my mom. Like, my mom died, and, like, everybody was, like, telling me it's an Irish funeral, right? It's like a happy hour, right? Yeah. (laughs) She's like, let me tell you about your mom. Here's a shot of Jameson. I was hammered. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, please don't get me drunk at my mom's funeral. But, I, I mean, in retrospect, I think she has my back, you know what I mean? She's up there appreciating me for what I bring, and I try to be a good person You know, I wasn't always a good person like all of us, but, you know, I try to, you know, be good. That's what you're, that's what you're, I would say, and I don't want to speak for her, but I'm saying that's what she wants for you. She doesn't want you to be sad. She doesn't want you to mourn. She wants you to say, go kick the world's ass, like you said you were going to do when we were like 16 and making love when my parents were out of town.
0: uh, I'll be honest, man. Um, I didn't know who I was. After she died, because all my identity was wrapped up in being a husband, uh, a provider, just a family man with her. And it took me years. I mean, I'm still coming into it, but this gives me more of a purpose. It gives me identity. I can say this is who I am. This is what I do. These are some of my accomplishments. And it gives me like, I hate to circle back to this, but it gives me a reason to live. Yeah. As as sad as that may sound, it's a beautiful thing for me. I want the listeners to know it's not a sad thing. It's very beautiful, but it's, it's my motivation.
1: Well, I would tell you that a lot of people struggle with depression, like, and they don't talk about it. And I'm thankful that I have comedy. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. so thankful because I'm like, Oh, I'm pissed off. And then I have to think like, why am I pissed off or why? Like, Oh, let me find that joke or let me figure out. Like I, I wrote on Facebook and you commented on it. I said, I'm always stuck in line behind Starbucks with someone who ordered steak. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you're in a hurry, like I ordered steak, like there's no <laughs> steak, you know.
0: <laughs> we were mentioning that actually. Right? Like um man, this this uh interview or conversation actually went a lot smoother than some other ones do. That being said, we ran through uh the time very quick.
1: Are we done? Oh uh, well, done? not yeah. quite.
0: I do want to get some things out though, uh because I know you're an author. Yeah. I want you to talk about your
1: books a little bit and and describe
0: the process of writing
1: yeah well i've always just been driven to write like i there's a book by mark twain called roughing it which kind of changed my life and i read it when i was a kid and it's just mark twain was a day late and a dollar short and he never he was part of a silver mine he's like you guys aren't gonna make it and then he'd leave and it hit the vein and but he wrote about it so he became immortal by writing about it and putting in black and white so that's my idol like with writing and everything so at the end of roughing it, he has a saying, it just says, if you think this book has no moral, then you're mistaken. If you're of good account, then by all means, stay at home and work towards your goals with patience and diligence. But if you're of no account, like myself, then by all means, leave, and it'll become a blessing to your family by ceasing to be a nuisance to them. And that was my story. Like, I had to leave to, like, grow up, and it took forever. But it was a great ride. I mean, I learned a lot, you know, and, and and I try to capture it, so I just always have my notebooks, and some of my notebooks are like 30 years, but I, when I got to, um, when I was in the Bay Area, Mike Ferrucci, he became a big writer, but he gave me a book by Sid Field called Screenplay, and it was all beat up and tattered, and I'm like, I love that book, and I devoured it, because it was like the screenplay frenzy, like where everybody was, uh, Joe Esterhaus was selling scripts for like $2 million. I said, I'm gonna sell one of those, and going back to Panda, I wrote an Ace Ventura sequel, right? And I thought of it before I saw the the second one, but I I thought of it when I saw the first one, but I didn't write it till I saw the second one. That's what I was trying to say. So it's called Pandemonium, about the pandas get stolen from the San Diego Zoo. Oh, okay. And uh, so I got to Hollywood when I moved back to L.A., and I was always afraid of Hollywood. Like, I got over the border. I'm like, I'm still alive. Good, because I was definitely a (laughs) friend. And so I got there, and I... I sent it out, and this guy called me back as an agent. He goes, "I love this. It's a great idea. I'm sending it to everybody. I'm gonna send over Jim Carrey's agent, and the agent says he likes it. But then I'm not shopping for Porsche. I'm like, Hollywood's easy. You know what I mean? And then, uh, then Jim Carrey said he didn't want to do a third one, and then my agent went away, and he he was sick, and I was. That was the last thing he, I think, he represented because he he had lung cancer. Oh, Mike Douglas. Yeah, so I never got back there. Do you know what I mean? But I kept writing and. But that guy called me, he said, look, he didn't sell it. He goes, but don't ever quit, quit writing, you have talent. So I listened to him. His name was Bobby Lippman. How many books have you written? I've written like nine screenplays. Um, I, the last screenplay I wrote was called Tightwad Wedding, and uh, that's about two people playing a wedding to make money off it, and they fall in love in the process like a romantic comedy. And then I've written uh, ABC's a stand-up comedy, which I just released 2.0. And then I have a book coming out called My Life in Lyrics, which is music lyrics. That are- yeah, because you mentioned I—I I tried to call you musician. You said you were a lyricist. I just write poems, right? Like poetry. You talk about comedy coming from pain. Poetry comes from a lot of pain. You know what I mean? So I just started writing poetry. And this guy, John Vento, I guess his lyricist. You know, I don't know what happened, but he said, "Hey, I need someone to write lyrics for a song." And I sent them some, and. I was fortunate that they produced them. They produced like six songs. We're working on the seventh right now. That's pretty badass. So I wrote Last Sunset, uh, Let God Drive. Uh, I don't know, there's another one, New Mexico Way, which I wrote about my land in New Mexico, which I never got back to. So that, and then, so the book, and then I have a book that I'm most proud of called Suicide Angel. Mm -hmm. So my best friend, one of my best friends uh, killed himself and I just wanted to try to capture that somehow to figure out how we can you know, averted in the future. When someone dies, like from suicide, we're all in the same. We're just like numb and we don't know what to say. Like, what could we have done? So this is about four people that kill themselves in Pittsburgh on the same day and they get picked up by a suicide angel. And by divulging why you kill yourself, you get to take something off your bucket list. So it's kind of like a modern day, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. They go on a grand journey, realize life's worth living and it might have a happy ending.
0: I may be unique, but I've seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang probably 300 times. I love it. I love that movie. When I was a child, there was a bunch of movies that we watched all
1: the time. Uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Bang Bang. Choo Chitty Bang Bang. Grease. I loved Grease. That was a date movie for us. Like, we would take girls.
0: fucking Sister Act.
1: Oh, Sister Act? Those three movies. My sister played those
0: all the time.
1: That was pretty awesome. Sister Act. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Um, Was... All of 33 years old before I realized the sequel, Back in the Habit, was a play on words. Um, So I'm kind of disappointed in myself on that. Uh, Other than that, man, I don't know. I just, I, let me ask you. That's a fascinating concept, by the way. Um, Good time to promo
1: yourself. Where
0: can you be found?
1: Um, Just go to I I do a lot of, like, I'm staying close, I have a day job, but I stay within like two or three hours of Pittsburgh. And then I just write. I mean, I probably hide behind my writing. I'm probably erring on the side of writing instead of living life. I don't know how you feel, but I feel like I'm an observer of the world and not a participant a lot of times. Like I'm the fifth person in a four person hot tub. And like, what's he doing here? Like,
0: <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was a unique experience to me feeling like an outsider all the time, uh-huh. uh, no matter what the situation. But the more I talk to other comics, uh, especially more established comics, they don't necessarily say those words, but give me those feelings.
1: Yeah, just uh, I don't know. I'm not in a I'm not in a bad place. You know, my family's like I had to deal with some estrangement from a daughter that I loved and I had to make I made tough choices when I was younger and I'm trying to make those better and. Family, in life, you're always trying to match the places with the faces, right? So in the end, the faces win, and they're the most important thing. They're better than any sunset, better than any place you can go or run to, and I have to learn how to stay put and, you know, not run like a tumbleweed. But overall, I mean, I try to capture things, and I love to write, so it's not really a job to me. I just try to capture thoughts.
0: This is a point in the episode where I like to ask people for a piece of advice. Like, you've already given out great advice this whole episode, but just – In general, whatever you feel like getting off your chest, it doesn't have to be about anything specific, but what advice would you like to give to the people?
1: I would just say people in life are buying authenticity. Just be yourself, whoever that may be. And I think the more you don't give a shit about what people think of you, the more they like you, right? And they respect your opinion because what people are buying comedically, they're not buying jokes, they're buying authenticity. Like when you leave the stage, do I know him a little bit better? You know, not that like, oh, he was hilarious and I don't remember anything he said. You don't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. You want to be the person that when you leave, they're like, man, I, I went through pain like that and, and he gave me therapy. Like that book, I wasn't even going to publish this suicide angel. Then this guy was depressed at the coffee store I went to. I said, well, I'll let you read it. And then he wrote a glowing review of it and how it changed his life and made him like think of things. And I'm like, wow, where'd that come from? Because I thought it sucked. Right. And then then other people read it and they gave it like five stars and I said, well good i'm glad i could help someone because i just don't want people to you know st- here's the other thing i'll say this most important like going back to my friend killing himself stick around sundays suck for me i hate sundays like that that 60 minutes clock i'm like oh my god i can't take it i gotta go to work right but stick around so the story of my friend that killed himself he liked redheads I was redhead, so I didn't date redheads because like we felt like me and my friend Darren felt like that's two negative numbers going up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So okay. we try to we try to make the freckles out of our family. That's kind of what I try to do. So I'm always attracted to dark skinned girls and Latino girls or whatever. And uh, so the whole point was he liked redhead girls. So I'm in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, like probably a month after he died and I did a show. And this, this beautiful girl came up after the show. She goes, you're really funny. She goes, are you from Pittsburgh? And I go, yeah. She goes, are you from Brooklyn? I said, yeah. She goes, do you know a guy named Steve? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, we went out in high school or college at Clarion or whatever, and I wanted to reacquaint myself with him. You know what I mean? And I said, well, he killed himself like a month ago. So if he would have stuck around, he might have found his wife, you know, that night. You know, And the other thing was he wanted to do stand-up, and he never told me. Like, I do headline. I am not throw anybody 10 minutes. Like, if you would have just told me, I would have threw him on the stage for 10 minutes because going back to what you said earlier, you know how it saved your life, right? It could have saved his life. Okay. So comedy has room for you. I guess that's the advice I want to give. If you're depressed and you feel down and out and you have nowhere to go, come to an open mic. We'll make room for you.
0: Oh, well, there's definitely
1: room. So that's my advice, I guess.
0: That was touching, actually. Yeah. That was... Good Lord, you know, I've talked to you numerous times off stage before, but like, just listening to your situation a little more and how you say uh, right to pain and everything, it makes me understand it, like pieces are getting connected more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Holy
1: shit. Uh, you know, a lot of times I find myself, the most serious conversations I have are with comics. Uh, we're not always on all the time. I mean, we come from dark places. Like, I, I don't know, man, I... Mean, I I'm in a good place like I mean I, I just try to I'm I'm late in the game too right so I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody mm-hmm. and I don't really care if I get an HBO special or a, a dry bar special or anything like that I'm just at a point where like I just want to take it one joke at a time and try to make people laugh like my friend I gave him a joke for a, he had to speak in front of all these accountants and I gave him a joke he goes oh thanks for your joke it you killed so like that was like my big victory for today well, that's nice nothing wrong with that yeah so
0: no, I just I wanna thank you for coming on, man. Uh it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure. Yes. Learned so much more about you and I feel like I only just scratched the surface um if in the future
1: you'd like to come back
0: i'd love to have you on another time
1: yeah it'd be great it's always great seeing todd and you know idiot radio is awesome and they've been good to me but i i mean i want to reiterate to you to stay with it because you come from a real place right yes you're not writing fiction you're not sitting there trying to write jokes and make people laugh you're just saying how do i take this let me give you an example so there's people that have this great joke and they build a scene around it right Mm -hmm. but you have a great scene, and you get the jokes out of it organically. And there's way more jokes. Like, don't give them bread when you can give them the nooks and crannies of an English muffin. So That's dig, what I remember you telling yeah, me. Yeah, dig deep in there. And then the last thing I would say is, do the last show of your life every time you step on stage, because there's a lot of people that want to go on stage that can't. Rodney Dangerfield, Mitch Hedberg. So every time you step on Greg stage, Greg Giraldo, yeah, Greg Charlie Shana. Murphy. There's yeah. so many. Yeah. So you you are able to do it. So don't waste that opportunity and don't waste your minutes. Jesus,
0: Wolfie, I love you, brother. Holy shit. You know, it, it's it's interesting you say that, too, because I used to try and write jokes, just come out, pull a joke out of the air. And now I find myself just writing a passage about my life and then removing, you know, word economy shit and then adding something to make it funny. And maybe a slight exaggeration here or there, but the majority of it is all from my life.
1: Yeah, and you've and we talked right off stage. So, whatever you want to give the world, you give them. But I mean, you have a lot to mine. I'm telling you, you have a rich mind. So don't worry about it. And you know, and here's the other thing: it's freeing, right? So when you give it away, that thing you're hiding, you know, to the world, you know, then it's freeing. You're like, all right, they can't like, all right. So go back to Eminem and not or Eight Mile, right? Mm -hmm. When he ripped on all the things they were gonna rip on him. Yeah, that's what great comedy is. You're like, all right then you can't rip on me about that stuff because I already ripped on myself about it. So you're empty. Your guns are gone. Speaking of that, guys, uh, next week on the 4th,
0: I believe it is Thursday, I'll be the main event at Roast War Championship Baltimore. If you're in the area, come check that out. It's going to be a great show. Where's that at? Baltimore. In Baltimore,
1: Maryland? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. There's a Baltimore house on 51. Uh, I've been there. I've been there. Not a bad place. That's cool. Baltimore's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I was there a few years
0: back, but not for comedy, just with some friends. It was a good time. I'm sure it'll be a good time this time.
1: Do you like doing roasts? I love them. Yeah, I'm not, oh, I'm not good at them. I'm, I don't like making, like, I don't like, even when I box, they didn't like hurting people. Like, I'd knock them down and help them up. Roasts and, are my bread and butter. We grew know. up uh, just talking shit to each yeah. other, like, viciously. Yeah. So,
0: like, roasts just come natural. Yeah. I love it.
1: Well, Uh, good luck in Baltimore. Have fun down there. Oh,
0: thank you so much. Again, uh, Wolfie, thank you for coming on so much. Genuinely appreciate you. No worries.
1: Anything uh, last words? No, man. Keep it up and uh, keep writing and be yourself.
0: Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Until next time, peace and love.